You know, there's there's so many reasons why I love hearing that tune. Yes, it's because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. Yes, it's because I have the best job in the world and I get to hang out here on Monday nights and talk to my friends about poker. But also, it just means that we've hit the audio cues. So far, this podcast is going flawlessly without error. Everything's going great. Um, so I'm so glad to be here like I am every week. Uh, regular listeners will know this is the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, the Rec Poker community is a group of serious but fun-loving amateur poker players. Uh, just because we think of poker as uh, something that we do recreationally doesn't mean that we don't succeed. Uh, we've got some great results uh, here on the Wrecking Crew. Some of our premium members are actually quite accomplished players, but we just we love poker for the fun of it. It's uh, the Wreck Poker experience, uh, but it's more fun when you win. So we play together, we learn together, we teach together, we celebrate together, and we try and get better at this great game of poker week in and week out over here at Wreck.Poker. So I have to encourage our folks, if you're listening and this podcast sounds like a fun group of people to get involved with, go sign up for a free account right now, run to your keyboard and head on over to www.rec.poker. Sign up for a free uh, community account there. All it takes is an email address and a smile, although both are compulsory. And because most of what we do here is free, it's a largely volunteer-based organization, I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and our sponsor just for this segment this week, Laundry Pods. Laundry Pods. People, stop eating laundry pods. Okay, that was a word from our special segment uh, sponsor just for this week. Um, I also have to thank our premium members because we couldn't do what we do here without our premium members. Using uh, the code RECPOKER gets your first month for only 5 bucks. But even after that, it's only $15 a month. That gets you access to all the uh, training materials, the social events, discounts on other training sites, great prizes, um, access to the Wrecking Crew and me, uh, more uh, coaching uh, availability. It's a fantastic way not only to open up your own poker game, but also just to share your support uh, for what we're doing here at Rec Poker. Uh, so thank you to all of our premium members. And if you're a community member who's thinking about taking the leap, this is a good time. We've got some pretty exciting stuff coming up, and I'd encourage you to go drop that five bucks, use that code RecPoker, and sign up for a premium membership today. Um, one of the perks, as I mentioned, is that you get to spend more time with the Wrecking Crew. Uh, you probably know my voice by now because I host the podcast every Monday night, but I am just one of the members here on the Wrecking Crew that make all the magic happen behind the curtain here at Rec Poker. If you want to find out more about me and other members of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a couple of them right here tonight. Well, I am Chris Jones, and I think that celebrating uh, a flawless audio cue show 30 seconds into the show is sort of like... <laughs> Having ace king against queens and spiking your ace on the flop and being like, you know, dancing around the room and not waiting for the turn and river where the queen comes. But uh, anyway, you can find me 5v5 on Twitter or 5 by 5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I am John Somsky, also known as Poker Geek MN Everywhere. And I have to figure out what I'm going to make for dinner tomorrow because Jim just ruined all my plans. Nope. Sorry, buddy. No more laundry pads for you. Our sponsors have spoken. It's not allowed. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. And uh, good point, Chris. Uh, Turn and River is coming, and we have lots of opportunities to screw up uh, an audio cue as we get here tonight. So, you know, the future is bright, but you never know what's you never know what's going to happen. 
Um, so this is the chats edition of the podcast. Every week we do two episodes. We do a chats edition talking to uh, someone who's just cool and interesting in the poker world. And then we also do a forums edition where we really dig into the strategy uh, every week. Uh, I'm really excited to be welcoming uh, Wesley Cannon here to the chats edition. Wes is a fixture in Minnesota and uh, he's been on our radar for a while. We finally set out the lasso and lo- looped him in. And we're bringing them in. So, uh, Wes, thank you so much for joining us here on the Rec Poker Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Um, hopefully that queen doesn't come on the Turner <laughs> River here, but you never really know. So You never really know. And there's some sneaky, like, Broadway combos that can come, too. I mean, it's like, you know, there, there, there's all sorts of ways this can go wrong. But I've got a good feeling about it so far. Um, speaking about good feelings uh, so far, Wes... I was uh, just scrolling through Twitter before we got started today, and um, I mentioned, we put out a tweet saying that you were going to be on the podcast today, and someone responded and said, oh, great, he's the nicest guy in poker. So I guess my first question, how are you going to respond to this kind of slanderous accusation? Well, there are good, I'm sure there are some good people in the Medicaid scamming business too, but it's not saying a whole lot, so... (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I appreciate it. I always try and have fun at the tables and make the experience good for everyone. You know, I mean, part of playing is uh, is just making the experience good for people playing with you, too. Um, and I do happen to know who that guy was who said that. Um, <laughs> and I will say he was messaging me a little bit before that, saying that uh, I had a, a face for radio and that he hopes I don't have stage fright. So... <laughs> You know, there's two sides to every story, um, but but I appreciate the one he put out for everyone else to see. So there you go. I I like that. So let's let's start with that, Wes. So I I like to start these interviews by kind of asking our guests to put themselves in the box a little bit. Um, if our listeners don't know who you are, um, how do you if if you met someone at a cocktail party and they asked you, you know, what's your role in the poker world? What would you tell them? How would you describe your own role in the poker world? Yeah. Um, so I've been playing full time for about a year and a half now. Um, the years leading up to that, I was kind of considered myself a rec player, but was slightly winning more and more, um, kind of considered myself a semi-pro and then been full time for about a year and a half. Um, I also do a little bit of coaching, um, probably for players that I see a bit of myself in from a few years ago, you know, so I could have something to teach them but yeah play full time um if there are some of the listeners who listen to the poker guys podcast the breakdown i have done a bunch of solver work in the last year and a half two years for uh some of their shows so could know me from that too yeah awesome i i'm sure uh, many do your name was uh, familiar to me from that um as well from just sort of like the minnesota scene um, why don't we why don't we start with that? So how do you go from being a slightly winning uh recreational player to being part of the breakdown, doing solver work for them, you know, uh coaching part-time, playing full-time? That feels like a real ascent as a player. Talk me through that experience a little bit. Yeah. Um a few different things. So obviously a lot of it just comes from studying a lot, playing a lot. Um, learning from tons of mistakes, recognizing (laughs) that no matter how good I do get, there will still be different types of mistakes I make. Um, 
And a lot of it too, I think, is the other side, sort of the mental game that I think gets overlooked a lot. Um, you know, certain things like just playing within your bankroll, um, recognizing, you know, if you take a bad beat or like 10 bad beats in a row, whatever it is that you might be a little tilted, you might be off your game and just sort of working on that. And because, because one thing I've said to some people is like, I think there are plenty of people who take poker kind of seriously, who could pass a quote unquote poker test if it was given in like a college exam type of format. But then when they get on the table, you know, maybe they're drinking or maybe they're in a great mood or a terrible mood and that'll change how they play. And not only does that get them off their game, but you know, other people pick up on that too and can take advantage of it. So um, learning to just stay really level and not get too high or too low. So, yeah, when we, when we were emailing just briefly to set up, uh, this conversation and I, and I should say, if you're in the YouTube chat, we record this live every week on YouTube. If you've got questions for Wes, uh, type away into the chat there. And of course, just like every week, we'll be doing our, uh, our raffle at the end of the show. Someone's going to win a free month of rec poker or uh, a free month of Range Trainer Pro or PokerCoaching.com uh, or, uh, oh God, I Learn Pro Poker. There's a whole bunch of amazing sites that we give away prizes uh, for here at Rec Poker. So um, stick around in the chat and type your questions for Wes. Um, so yeah, so when, when we were preparing for this interview a little bit, we talked about kind of the importance of some of those infrastructure aspects of poker i i often refer to them as kind of like the non-sexy parts of poker things like bankroll management and game selection um it sounds like that's something that you really took seriously as you started to transition from being a recreational player to uh, a more professional player what i mean how how can you tell if you're taking bankroll management seriously enough or like what what is the difference between someone who is like, oh yeah, I'm totally responsible with my bankroll. And then people that are actually being responsible with it and 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 giving themselves a chance to succeed. Yeah, I mean, if you're a player and you ever feel like there's there's a chance your bankroll could go to zero or anywhere close, you're probably just doing it wrong, whether that's bankroll management or you're just losing in general. Um, but yeah, that really shouldn't be a consideration. Like you know, I, I am mostly a tournament player. And so obviously with tournaments, you'll have stretches where you fire a bunch of buy-ins without cashing or just cashing small, maybe. And you should really be able to go into any tournament and be able to fire as many times as, as long as you're feeling good, you know, um, you're not, there shouldn't be a tournament where you put in a buy-in and it feels like you can only do one bullet or, you know, cause a second bullet would be, you know, too much. No, I'm not necessarily speaking for someone who plays a few times a year. Like that's much different, but if you're someone who plays a lot, like you're never going to be at your best if you're in a situation where you feel like you need to make something out of this one buy-in because then you'll miss out on, spots where you have an opportunity to gain an edge but it might also result in you going bust um so 
yeah, that that's generally how I would say. Um, and and a lot of times I've heard players say like, well, you know, when I have that big score, I want it to be all, you know, I want to have all of it. I don't want to give it up to someone. I mean, neither do I, but I'm also not going to be able to fire a bunch of bullets in 1100, or at least, you know, at the beginning, I wouldn't have been able to fire a bunch of $1,100, $1,500 buy-ins if I knew that I could just go on a 30 or 40K downswing all on my own too, you know, so. Yeah, so is that, so that kind of leads me to the next thing I want to talk about here. So you've you've been improving as a player. You've been taking your poker career more seriously. Um, tell us a little bit about sort of the games that you were playing as a rec and then how that's changed, the, the the different games that you're playing in now and what that transition has has looked like. Yeah, I mean, so I guess it depends on how far back you go, but I actually used to be um, a little bit more of a cash game player um, in the start of the pandemic and whatnot. I played some 2-5, 5-10 home games, um, played some other, you know, in Vegas, I would play 5-10 at Bellagio, 2-5, wherever. Um, and but and then I got more into tournaments. But I think also one thing I would say is when I was playing um, more recreationally, I wouldn't necessarily select my games that um, with that much purpose, I guess. And this especially goes for online, I would say, because I mm. I don't know if I mentioned, but I play, you know, on global on ignition. I, I definitely play more online than live, at least like as far as games, obviously, as far as hours, you know, live takes a lot of time. But, hmm. you know, when you're and this is why, you know, when I say I play online, people automatically say, like, oh, ACR, I'm like actually not so much on ACR because it is a lot tougher than Ignition and Global. And like I do this full time, like I'm trying to pay myself here. And I do think playing against tough competition is good for getting better certainly, but I try to not put in too much volume on ACR because it's like, I, you know, I just recognize that it's a lot harder to beat the games on there. And, and, and Wes, I just want to jump in because you're saying uh, specifically that just the fields are softer on these other sites. And mm -hmm. so, you know, part of being a successful poker player is playing in soft games and you have to, you know, you'll make more money playing against a, a softer field than yep. you will against against a tougher field so that and is there is there something i know chris has a question here uh, as well but um, i've also heard that the ignition fields are pretty soft I, I don't i'm in canada uh so i have a different i have access to different games than, than you do down there in the yeah, states yeah um but what do you think what do you think makes for a softer field it, it, like why is ignition or global um a, a better player pool for you than than acr um a couple reasons. So for one, just on ACR, you're allowed to use like heads up displays and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there are more more players um, using that sort of stuff and really taking it. it. It appeals a lot more to players who are really taking it seriously, I think. Um, and frankly, and this is, you know, the unfortunate part, I think there's more um, of the cheating type of stuff going on on there, um, real time assistance and whatnot. Um, I know that's been kind of a big discussion in the poker Twitter sphere yep. recently. So, 
Um, the hellscape, and, we call it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's and then and one more point on that topic I wanted to make as far as like live tournaments go. Um, I've also been asked, like, you know, do you want to play five Ks and ten Ks? Like, if you had a backer, which I do, I do sell action a lot of times, but I don't have a backer per se. Um, and my answer is kind of like, well, if I know I'm good enough, maybe, but the edges are, you know, I, I can win at such a higher rate at the 1100, 1500 type of buy-in. So what's the point? It would probably be less fun first off because there's so many more pros and less rec players just having fun there. And I mean, I don't need, you know, maybe I would have a small edge. I don't really know. I've the only 10 K I've played is one time at the world series main, which is not a good representation of all 10 Ks anyway. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> yeah. Don't so. let anyone play in that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes sense. Uh, Chris, did you have something you want to jump in? With? Yeah. I kind of wanted to follow up about, uh, you know, I was, as I was kind of preparing for this interview, I was looking over your Hendon and it really looks like to me i mean I, this you fill in the gaps for me but it really looks yeah. like the the pandemic really was a big sort of kind of big shifting moment for you you were mostly playing like under 200 dollar tournaments having success in them then we all had this sort of forced gap in play maybe you're playing online during this time but mm -hmm. you know, there's not not much of a record there. Nobody could play live, and then you come back, and now you're starting to play 1100s. You have a third place uh, finish Riverside, very quickly yeah. out of the gates. Yeah, yeah at Riverside uh, for 77 gay. Congrats! Uh, and then you're just on a tear. You're just you're just at MSPTs and 1100s, and you're doing you're doing phenomenally well. So walk me through. Was that was that time that sort of that forced isolation time? Was that like a time when you just like said, "Okay, I've got this time. I'm gonna like sit down. I'm gonna study hard." Or what? What? Walk me through where you know what mm -hmm. took you from those two hundreds to that to that MSPT sort of third place finish. Yeah, the, I think the pandemic did play a big role. Um, all of a sudden, there was kind of this gap in social life that was available, and I already was very you know. I took poker semi-seriously, I would say, but now there's all this extra time. Um, and I, so I did play more online and then also eventually started getting more into home games. Um, but that did play a role. I started studying a lot more. Um, I got on a couple of the training sites. Um, I paid for a little coaching of my own and so yeah, like I said, initially it was for cash games. And then, um, yeah, like you said, in 2021, that third place in Riverside, that was my only my like fourth MSPT. And I had only fired one or two bullets in the previous ones. So that, that was a big moment for me. Um, I think in 2020, I think I got quite good at cash games and then my friend, um, Ian Matekis, actually, I'm sure you guys know him. Um, yeah, yeah. I hired him for some coaching and only did a few sessions, but he really pointed out some big, um, some big points where tournaments are a lot different than cash games that helped me out a lot. 
And, and then frankly, like once I did have the big score for 77 K in the tournament and I'm like, well, I love these things now, you know, <laughs> um, they're so easy. Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and that was about two months before I started playing full time. I think a lot of people who play, uh, especially younger people who play like, you know, competitively, they study, they're maybe small winning players. I think all of, not all of them, but a lot of them would like to see if they could play professionally at some point, even if it's not like their whole life, you know? Um, and for me, it was like, the you know i think i can do it and if i can you know this will be the time when i if i am doing it full time it will force me to study as hard as i can to keep getting better um so yeah and then obviously that big score just helped me uh bankroll wise too um and just to kind of follow up because like one of the things that we often hear from from our, you know, our audience and rec players is like, they, they want to study more, they want to get better, but they sometimes don't know where to start. So what, what, what things did that um, were sort of a point of emphasis? I know you've done solver work um, uh, for the poker guys. I uh, kind of, you're somewhat known for doing that. Was that part of the the study work or were, were there some elements of your game and transitioning from cash to tournaments that really needed work or what, what were you really focused on in terms of your study? Yeah. So that did help solver work helps. Um, I will say in general, I think learning stuff like theory, people sort of confuse it as like, you should be a GTO or an exploitative player. And I think the better way to look at it is you study, you know, game theory, optimal play so you learn what exploits to make and how to you know what mistakes your opponents are making um as far as studying for tournaments specifically um so the thing about tournaments is so much of it happens pre-flop especially once you're in the later stages when the average stacks can be 20 25 big blinds um i would recommend using pre-flop academy for that if you're really if you're really serious about getting good um, they have just all, you can basically choose any, uh, effective stacks, any positions, three bets, four bets, cold, four bets, um, you know, multi-way pre-flop, like all sorts of stuff that you just never get from other charts. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think one, a couple, a couple common mistakes that I see among people who, you know, play a lot, study a little, but you know, could go more in depth is, um, so early, early in tournaments when you're playing, you know, a hundred blinds deep and there's no ICM or whatever, I think people have a, this idea that you should be tighter in tournaments than cash when it's, it's really the opposite when there's no ICM because there's, there's no rake out of the pot and there's an ante. So there's a huge incentive to go for the chips in the middle. Um, and then, the other one is you actually, in almost every situation, if there's a multi-way pot pre-flop, like let's say you're in the big blind, middle position raises, and then, you know, maybe cut off and button both call. You should actually defend your big blind less when there are multiple callers, um, which is a little counterintuitive because people think, oh, I'm getting a much better price. Right. 
which is true, but you know, you, when there are multiple people to the flop, you're just not going to be able to realize the equity that your hand has, especially offsuit hands. Um, but there's just so many other players that could bet on the flop. And, you know, if you flop bottom pair in a backdoor flush draw and your head's up, you can continue if, against the bet. Multi-way, you just can't. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are the sorts of things I've learned from studying a lot of pre-flop stuff in tournaments. Um, and also, you know, there are a lot of training sites out there. Um, I've tried a few. I don't have, other than pre-flop academy, I don't have one specifically that I'd recommend, but I would also say just talk to players who have had success in tournaments. Um, if you know me personally, you can always ask me, um, you know, I don't have all the answers, but, um, yeah, if you, if you're friends with players who have had success in tournaments that you haven't had, just like run hands past them. I think that helped me get good too, is like just bouncing these ideas off them. And then suddenly I would realize like, Oh, I kind of, think I know what they're going to say to this one and then learn to implement that into my game. Yeah, I know uh, when I got started in poker, I spent years just learning on my own, watching videos, listening to podcasts, doing my own charts and stuff like that. And it was definitely good for building a foundation, but I could have learned a lot faster if I had just asked some other people for help, mm-hmm. joined yeah. the community, started talking. But I think the problem is for a lot of people Listen, we love poker and we've got good friends, but our friends don't love poker the way that we love poker. So it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to find other people to start talking about uh, poker with. And, and that's why, you know, the value of a training site or a coach or a community like Rec Poker, I think people don't understand just how valuable it is to have people, good people that you like, who also enjoy talking about poker. Right? Yeah. And I would add to Make sure you know it's someone who's a winning player because Mm. I think poker players, we all think we're smarter than the average person. Um, And we all have our own strong opinions on things and they can't all be correct. So, (laughs) yeah, you said it. So what when when you were making the transition, you said you got some coaching with Ian. Ian's been on the show. He's been uh, a friend of of the group here for a long time. Um, What made you decide to? take to seek that out like what made you decide to sort of uh switch into looking for someone to get help and how did you choose ian and what was that uh did that like like how exactly did that help you think transition uh, as play yeah so it really helped me because what we did was we went over my own hands that i played um online and it's it's one thing to go over, you know, examples that a training site uses mm-hmm. um, when they're teaching you. But when you see hands that you've played that you've either done something right or wrong, you know, it's a lot easier to learn quickly that way for me, at least, and probably for a lot of other people, um, you know, because when you when you see someone make a mistake, you can always tell yourself, oh, yeah, no, I, I think I would have gotten that one right. But when you make the mistake, there's nowhere to hide. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot easier to be honest with yourself that way. And as far as Ian specifically, I've known him for maybe five years. Um, We just played in a couple home games together a long time ago that one of our mutual friends hosted. And um, 
you know, I've always been impressed by him. I mean, he's, I think, three years younger than me, and he had been uh, crushing tournaments around here, you know, back then when I met him. That was like when he was starting off. So, um, cool. Yeah. And, and when you're coaching, so you mentioned you do some coaching as well. Um, mm -hmm. what, what's that experience like? Does that different, different students or clients have a different approach or do you kind of have a way that you like to approach, uh, coaching or if folks want to take some coaching with you, what are they, what are they in for? What are they kind of signing up for uh, from, uh, from that point of view? Yeah. So you have to get up at 5am. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, so I, uh, I like to do it the same way where, so you, most of the time they'll have online hands that we go through. Um, one student I'm working with now, he actually, when he plays, he'll just take notes on his phone of every pot he enters, um, which is great. Like that's, you know, I don't do that, but um, I think it's important to use your own hands to review. Because mm -hmm. um, even, even if I want to teach stuff that just revolves around theory, it's still so much better to be like, okay, here's this exact situation that you were in so you can look for it next time. And what are some common mistakes? You talked a little bit about like defending the big blind too often multi-way, mm -hmm. um, uh, sort of just like tight, you know, tightening up versus loosening up, loosening up in various tournament stages. Um, those were good lessons for you. What are some other kind of common mistakes that you think recreational players even serious thoughtful recreational players are making that kind of are holding them back from um taking that next step on or off the felt what in order right yeah so i was gonna say i actually have I, I could think of some on the felt ones um but my mind first went to some off the felt things like you know we we had talked about bankroll management that's one thing um there's also stuff like playing playing blackjack or playing pick games. Like I, I never do that stuff, but it's like, if you're trying to play poker for profit, why would you go play these games where you can't have a skill edge? You know? Um, I mean, I know blackjack, there's maybe a little bit, but like a lot of these other games, there's none. And so, and, and that's just going to, not only is that going to like deplete your bankroll in the long run, but I feel like it'll just get in your head mentally too, because you, mm. you know, the more you do that stuff, the more you are um, just getting in the mindset of you're going to lose when you're at the casino. And, you know, if you're playing these games where I think a lot of the appeal of them are probably just the, the gambling aspect of it, that's going to filter into your poker game where you're suddenly, even, even though you might, as I had said, like on paper, you might know the right answer in a situation. You're going to be more inclined to gamble, you know, play for that, whatever it is, that rush. Um, so I think avoiding things like that and, you know, just being cognizant of why you're playing. If you, if you are playing poker, if you're a, a more serious recreational player and you're looking to play profitably, like, you know, do the things that will get you the most focused when you're playing and, you know, treat it like it's your job, even if it's not. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of the the high roller guys, 
a lot of them are in really good shape. And I think they, you know, they take their diet, they take their physical fitness seriously. And, you know, I, I like to at least go to the gym a few times. I've noticed that that a few times a week, I've noticed that that just helps me stay a little sharper in general. I don't love working out, definitely not a bodybuilder, but <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think in general, doing all those things can just help you um, be at your most focused level when you're at the table. Is it a question of like discipline? Is it a question of um, excluding things or like focusing on things? Because I think I think you're right. I think this is a, a leak, a pretty big leak yeah. for a lot of players, recreational and professional. Um, is there a way? Uh, how should we be thinking about this? And if we want, if we want to get better at that kind of thing, is it just saying no to our own weaknesses uh, and impulses, or is there is there something like more constructive than that? Yeah. So, well, for me personally, I don't ever want to play in those games, but you know, those pit games and stuff. So I think a lot of it is just developing good habits. Um, and sometimes that means, you know, sometimes that's a change for people. Some people don't really get into other stuff anyways, but, um, yeah, I think it's different for everyone. I mean, they're, you know, it, especially if you have friends who like to go to the casino and gamble or do whatever. Um, sometimes it means kind of separating, you know, your your social time from your focused time. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. It, it can be different for a lot of people. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, there are, there are some people like when you play poker, you obviously see people who can sometimes struggle with the other stuff. Um, and so for some people, it could just mean avoiding it altogether too. So. Yep. Uh, Chris Jones, you've got something coming up. Again. I think I've, uh, there's a, I was going to ask a question from, from YouTube here from Danny Wood here. Mm -hmm. um, Danny Wood, our, our resident professional podcast prize winner. All yeah. this guy does is show up and win the raffle every week. Uh, welcome back to the show, Danny. <laughs> so uh, Danny uh, writes, uh, Wes, you know, he said, he says, boy, you seem to really uh, frequently crush at the 500 or 1500 buy-in level. I think this is a follow-up on the bankroll question though. But so his mm -hmm. question is, um, what is, what is equilibrium or how do you track being a winning player? Is it just, profitability or are you looking at some sort of like X buy-in or ROI target to like, to consider yourself, you know, successful? Um, That's a good question. And so honestly, no, like in the grand scheme of like professional poker players, I'm still relatively new to that. So I don't even know what my benchmark should really be necessarily. Um, and the other thing is when you are accounting for just live tournaments, especially like, you know, my personally, my ROI on like $1,100 buy-ins is like over 200 or about 200%. So it's like, that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. And I, I also don't necessarily think that's sustainable. Um, right. So for me, me personally, what 
the way I look at it is I'm just trying to make a certain amount of money to support myself and then hopefully more to like build my bankroll, um, you know, continue playing a lot more. So for me, it's more based on that. Um, Cause yeah, it, honestly, as far as live tournaments, I don't have a relevant sample size um, online. I know that ignition doesn't really have anywhere where you can track it, but on global, you can check um, like shark scope and see your ROI on um, all your tournaments you've played over time. And I think mine, if we're, we're not counting sit and goes, cause I'm like dead break even on those, but in, in MTTs, I'm at about 40%. And so for me, I'm like, well, if that goes, you know, that's over thousands of tournaments. So if that starts going significantly lower, then I know I'm maybe getting off my game or need to change something. Mm-hmm. So, and then, yeah. And then Danny has a, has a follow-up here, which I think I know the answer to, but I'm going to ask it to you. Um, so as a, as a winning player in terms of bankroll, are you focused more on cashing consistently or chasing all, you know, the money at the top, the big score? Uh, and how do you balance that in terms of how you approach a tournament? Yeah, definitely the high scores. Um, there, yeah, if you're going to be profitable at all, you need those because there's no way you can cash at a higher enough percentage to be profitable if you don't have those big scores. Um, you know, if, for example, the MSPTs, they pay like 10 or 11%. So I've, you know, if I'm cashing at like 20%, well, a min cash is about two buy-ins or something. So that's never going to add up. Um, whereas if you have the one or two caches where it's like 50 or 70 or 100 buy-ins, you know, getting up to those spots is so much more important. That's not to say, look, if, they, if they're paying 90 and there's 92 left and you have a middling stack, that's not to, it's not to say you should just look to get it in as a coin flip. Like, Min caching does matter as well, but it doesn't really matter until you're very close to it. Um, mm. And I think that's especially worth noting in big, large fields like MSPT or even bigger fields like the World Series, where it's like, okay, 350 players cash. If there's 360 left, I can't really change my odds of winning the tournament right now, but getting over that min cash hump is, you know, 1.7 or two buy-ins, whatever it is. So it's, it's not, uh, I think some people like to, you know, say, Oh, I don't care about the min cash. And it's like, well, there's a time and a place where you should, but no, your, your overall tournament strategy should be almost always just to accumulate as many chips as you can early um, and then, you know, as if you're on a day two of like an MSPT, still have that mostly in mind, um, because, you know, the, the worst feeling is if you're, maybe you made the money, but then you're sitting on six big blinds and you're looking back at a spot, you're like, you know, I really should have gone for it there. Like I could be in such a good situation to <laughs> final table this thing. But now I'm going to have to get it in 
and I'm not going to be able to be selective with my hands. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I see players who uh, fold in, in that, like right before the bubble, they fold and when they've got a really good spot mm-hmm. um, and then they fold themselves down to six blinds and maybe, or, you know, eight, six blinds, and then maybe they can grind their way into the cash, but then they're just, they're going home and they had a chance to really uh, just make a, a call. That's probably pretty, pretty standard and they've got a or most of the time unless they're you know their opponent might sometimes they've got it right but most of the time they're going to win and then they're going to have a bigger stack and they're going to be in a really good position to not only like attack i mean to attack the bubble too like they're mm-hmm. they're then going to be in a spot where they can actually so yeah i think it's a really big lesson that some some players need to learn i agree um and i just had another thought when you said that too Oh yeah, so it is tricky because when you know when you play a ton of these tournaments, like I'm not going to lose any sleep over if I bust near the bubble in one of them. Like it's going to happen at some point. Um, it is tricky though if you're playing you know one of these things every few months and you're you know you're late on day one. You're like, oh man, like this would feel great to at least get the cash so I can feel like this tournament was a win. And if you really want to play your best, you kind of have to just learn to get rid of that mindset. Like, if you want to avoid the pain of being unlucky, just don't play poker to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Yeah, we say that from time to time here. It's like, if you you just want to be sure all the time, take up chess. Yeah, which I actually, that was me when I was young. But um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, you have to embrace this. And like we were talking about, you know, they pay the top 10, 11, 12% of, of the field, which means that, you know, 85% of the time, you're going to go home with nothing, right? Like, like mm-hmm. as an MTT player specifically, don't you have to get like really intimately familiar with the, the experience of losing tournaments? Like, doesn't that just happen like, like way more often than anything else? Yes. Yeah. No, most... As an MTT player, most times I lose. Um, even even if I end up cashing in a lot of the tournaments I play, you know, most of those require more than one buy-in. So, mm. um, yeah, you just kind of have to get used to it. Um, and yeah, just don't never get too emotionally invested in one tournament because weird things happen all the time. I should say. They're not even weird things. It's just normal poker things happen. And, um, you know, and also, you know, recognize that you'll be on the good side of that too. Like if you, you know, if I'm, when I'm a chip leader at a final table, it's not because I just outplayed everyone in every situation. (laughs) Like I got aces when they got ace king that, that usually happens too. So. So uh, I've got one more question, and then unless there's any new ones in the uh, chat, we should let this man get on his way. Um, Danny Wood does a mixed spots equals mega regret. Yeah, that's true. Although I think, as Wes is kind of saying, if we don't play as often, it's the the pain we feel from busting both before the bubble like hurts more because it's like a more absolute kind of pain. And uh, we don't get enough of those moments where we did kind of fold our way down to nothing. And it's kind of harder to look back on that and, and make that decision. So I think, you know, the, the only constant is the pain. <laughs> the pain is going to be there for every yeah. time you don't win. Right. 
Yeah. And I will, I will throw in there, like, even if you're someone who prefers playing live, if you want to get really good, I think you have to play some online for a few reasons. Mm -hmm. One, because it's easier to track Two, because the competition's tougher. So even if you're not winning or you're winning at a small rate, like you really get to up your game a lot. Um, And then also just volume, like, I'll pro- I, I probably play more hands of poker in a week on an average week than a lot of players do in a year, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you just get over that pain really quickly. Like, like if I play 15 tournaments in a day, I'll probably bubble one of them. You know, that's just the normal Tuesday for me. So, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I've, we've got one more question here in the chat um, from the RRRCCC, uh, and then I've got one more question after that. Uh, do you like poker books? Do you have a favorite poker book? Yeah, so, well, yes and no. So I, I'm not a huge fan of the books because I feel like it's just so much more efficient to get the content online. Um, I did really like uh, Maria Konnikanova's book mm. was it the perfect bluff? I, I, yeah, the I biggest remember. bluff. Yeah, the biggest bluff. Um, because I, I think that a lot of the mental game stuff that I I sort of kind of had in my head for years, like I noticed people doing these things that were based off emotion, and I think she put a lot of it into words, um, into the right words. Where I was like, oh, that that's I've had that thought, but I didn't know how to say it. Um, and I felt like I learned a lot from that. Um, as far as like actual learning of poker strategy, I feel like I've gotten a lot more from YouTube videos and training sites. So my last question, Wes, is um, so you, you're in a position where you sell action. And I think that puts you in this in this uh, class of people that. You know, they have backers, they sell action, they have investors, you know, they have friends that like to come along for the sweat, that kind of thing. Uh, How does that change the way you feel about bubbling or not bubbling? How does it change the way you feel about like firing multi bullets? Um, Mm -hmm. Does it change it at all? Is it is it a conscious thing that you have to sort of be proactive about or just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it doesn't. And that's partial. So. I don't sell for everything, but I'll sell for the higher buy-in stuff that I play. Um, and at this point, I sell it all to one guy who the amount of money that that he has invested in me means nothing to him. Um, he's He does it to be supportive and it's fun for him to come along for the ride kind of thing. Um, so no, I don't care. He's <laughs> fire, fire more bullets like... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Plus I've made, you know, I've made him some money, but sure. Uh, so I guess, I guess that does take me to one more tangent and then we'll wrap up uh, the interview portion of the show tonight. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned a couple times now, if you show up in a tournament and it's multiple re-entry, you're just, you're just firing. You're just going to fire as many bullets as it takes to kind of keep you in there until you feel like you're not playing your best game or there's something that's, that's. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. I've never, um, I don't know. I know there's some guys who, just go insane in the early levels and kind of try and gamble to build up a big stack. And I'm not, I I do always, I am prepared to fire multiple times. Um, I've only fired, like I've done five bullets twice and never any more than that. Um, I've done four a few times. Like I'm not, there's a difference between 
being willing to fire again and just saying, you know, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to gamble. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, every, I mean, every tournament buy-in is in itself a new tournament. That's how you have to look at it if you're doing it for profit. And so, yeah, I, you know, if I have 50 or I guess like 10 big blinds at the end of a day one, I'm not going to be in the mindset of, oh, I need to double this up or it's not worth it. Like, no, it's, if you, if you just decide to punt off your last few blinds because you can buy in again, what you're really doing is just saying, okay, this tournament that I'm playing, I'm going to make that worth zero. Like you're, you're, you're always going to have another tournament, whether it's another day one flight of that tournament or a different tournament altogether. And you shouldn't, those should all be viewed as the same thing. Like every individual buy-in, um, you need to try and make it the best that you can. So like, you know, if, if you, I've seen people like, you know, maybe in a, a daily tournament at Canterbury, if you're on the last level of re-entry, you start with 20,000 in chips and you're down to 9,000. People will be like, you know, throw it all in with 10-7 offsuit because, well, I want to double or rebuy. It's like, well, what you're really saying is I'm just going to torch all the equity <laughs> that I had. Like, you're allowed to play another buy-in of any tournament regardless of how this one goes. Um, and, and I think a better way to look at it is like, if you think about ICM, your chip stack always has a dollar value. So if you're in the, let's, you know, I guess I should just try and rebuy if you're in that mindset, you're just making that one go from whatever the dollar amount is to zero. If you're, if you're in that mindset. So um, to sum it up, yeah, I'm always willing to buy in more, but I always, you know, I try and maximize every single buy-in, even if that means going on to day two with uh, six big blinds. Like one of my MSPT final tables I made, I had seven big blinds going into day two. Um, this couple of weeks ago in Grand Falls, I uh, I was dead last place going into day two on one bullet, and I cashed and I had a chance to actually build a pretty big stack if I had one. Um, the one hand I busted on, but I really like that. So it sounds like even though you've got you've got another tournament entry available to you, you should still respect your bullet, like respect the bullet that you're on, um, and respect the value that your uh, stack has in that tournament. So I, I really like the way you said that. But even if it means taking a short stack in, that's still better than nuking it and and buying in again because that that buy-in still there it's still available to to use for any other tournament that doesn't mean you should light your current uh chances on fire yeah well and think about like if you mspt is an example like that's an 1100 buy-in if you're late on day one or at the beginning of day two even if you only have you know five eight ten big blinds like your stack is worth probably multiple thousands of dollars. If you bust, you just threw away that much money. Like there's so much value in just having outlasted 87, 88% of everyone else. Um, If you have to buy in again, you have to do that again. So yeah, don't, don't throw away a buy-in. Nice. 
Well, uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, Wes, whether it's to uh, just talk poker or to check you out, uh, maybe take you up on some of your coaching offers, what's the best way for people to contact you uh, if they're interested in doing so? Yeah, um, I've started checking Twitter a lot more. Not a huge social media guy, but uh, my Twitter is at Pitcher Cannon. Um, if you if you're a Minnesota player, you play in the Midwest, whatever. Always feel free to say hi to me on breaks. Um, we can always chat then too. So nice, and I'll make sure that that link is in the show notes. Um, finally, who's the better? Which is the better podcast, Rec Poker or uh, the Breakdown with Two Poker Guys? Um, definitely the Rec Poker. I mean. The thing is, like, it depends, um, depends which segment of the poker guys podcast. Mm. Like the solver stuff's pretty cool. Solver stuff's pretty high yeah, level. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It really elevates the entire show. The, the thing I'm about concerned. this show is it has it has some really strong Minnesota representation, and that other <laughs> that other podcast has nothing like that at all. <laughs> yeah, it's just blather. Yeah. 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 Um, it's just it's just Oregon nonsense over there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if. Oregon podcasters are just dumb or yeah, they is. pretend to be dumb. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're, they put on, they, yeah, it is. It, I mean, it probably is just innate, but it could be just they put on an air for, for yeah, the fun. They're of the actually show. probably trying to be smart, you know, yeah. but <laughs> so sad. It's so sad. It yeah. is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Wes. This was yeah. super fun, man. I, I knew it would be. Uh, we were overdue for this conversation. So, um, and thanks for all you do. Uh, listen, for the poker world, I think even. When you mentioned at the very beginning, just being a friendly, smiling person at the table, trying to make the game better for the people playing around you. That's not, you know, I wish everybody had that same attitude. It's a, it's a part of the epidemic of live poker is that we need more people like that. People, smiling, friendly people at the tables, wherever they're from. Okay, Oregon, yeah. you know, fine, whatever. Uh, but no, thank you for being a, a bright light like that and for uh, sharing that positive view with Poker World. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't play poker as much as I do if I didn't have fun and, mm. you know, I've done very well at it and, you know, I definitely recognize that I'm, I'm grateful I've done that well at it. And, you know, yeah, I always, even, even if I take a couple bad beats, I try and take it in stride. Cause I feel like, you know, I think I'm one of the few poker players who I actually feel like I'm lucky in general. So. Mm. Yeah, good on you, man. Good on you. That's a good segue. So we're going to do our uh, food bank uh, raffle here. And I'll just say, people don't know, you know, food insecurity is on a spectrum. There's lots of people that need a little help every once in a while. A lot of us don't know how lucky we are to not need to wonder where uh, the next meal is going to come from. So if folks want to type start, start typing the words food bank into the chat. Uh, we'll do our raffle shortly. Um, Wes, thank you so much for coming on the show here. I uh, hope we get a chance to connect in real life one of these days soon. I know we are planning uh, Running Aces Rec Poker weekend sometime over the summer. So maybe we can make something happen there, uh, if not before. Yeah, um, I will. I will be at the series all summer. Um, we'll we'll see. You know, it depends on when that is, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah no, nice. I've really enjoyed this. Thanks for having me on. It's nice yeah. to meet you guys. Cheers, man. We'll be in touch. We're going to be have a few people down there for the series in June as well. So uh, maybe we can get a get a meetup um, and have it going. Thank you yeah. again, Wesley Cannon. And um, if folks want to get more involved with Wesley, uh, with Wesley, you can check out the link in the show notes there and look him up on Twitter or just look for the smiling guy 
um, at the table out there and uh, go knock, knock on his shoulder and tell him you heard him here on the Rec Poker Podcast. Thanks again, Wes. Thanks, guys. Take care. Well, we are going to talk about uh, some home game results coming up here. Um, it is time to start typing those words food bank into the chat. I'm just going to, we were talking about the Mid-Stakes Poker Tour here, so I'll just jump in and say that if you're listening to this live, it is March 27th. You've still got a few days to get down to Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino and play in the Mid-Stakes Poker Tour uh, event series that's going on there right now. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's some great prizes, um, some good people, and I know that you will enjoy yourself there if you do. Um, I'm glad we finally got a chance to... uh, get Wes on the show and really bring some violence to the two poker guys on yeah. the on the breakdown because I've told them for like a year and a half now like the feud is on as far as I'm concerned I don't mind punching up I'll punch up <laughs> I mean that's what you're supposed to do right punch up you never punch yeah. down right so bring that's it. the thing they can't strike back right they what are they gonna do yeah, yeah. we, we, we right. got them in a box we got them right yeah. in the corner <laughs> well the the thing is is do they even know we're punching? <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. But maybe, I may, cl- I may, t- I may clip that one little segment about Oregon and send it their way just to. I have think a- you <laughs> should. Please do. They give you the gears enough, Chris. Good lord! All these sandwich shop bits and whatnot. Come on, they don't know how good they've got it over there. <laughs> well, that was fun. Um, it was great to talk to Wes. And um, I hope uh, some of our listeners, um, uh, if you're if you're interested in, in talking to him more, look him up on Twitter. Like I say, uh, he does. He did say he's got um, a few people he's coaching right now, but he's always looking for another uh, person or two if they're the right kind of people, if they've got the right uh, mindset and the right you know attitude, and uh, are at the place in their own poker learning that uh, would make sense. So I would say don't uh, don't hesitate. Uh, B Jam and Ben Enslow says. I don't think they know. <laughs> I don't think they know that we're punching up. Yeah, well, they're they're going to learn. They're going <laughs> to learn, those poker guys. They're going to learn what it feels like to, to get punched from below. Um, John, why don't you take us through some home game results? And also, uh, I saw a, a direct message. Oh, I could have interrupted you with this, but I, I didn't. I, I, I led with it instead. I saw a, a direct message come across um, that anyone who's won a silver pin, we've picked a date for the go for the gold annual gold pin competition and it's right around the corner i am freaking excited i just can't wait to dip my toe in and try and be one of the first people to win the very first ever rec poker gold pin you know that this was going to be my first part of the topic anyway so thank you (laughs) for not interrupting me for just leading right into it professional segue (laughs) the annual goal for the gold tournament if you are one of the 36 players who has won a silver pin then you are eligible to play in the gold for the gold tournament to win the very first ever awarded gold pin for rec poker it's going to be on april 19th that is the third Wednesday in April, and it will be at our normal 8 p.m. Central Time, the only time zone that matters. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can win your very own gold pin there. So be sure to sign up. I have private message everyone who is on that list. So if you got the message, sign up for the club. It, it is its very own exclusive club and only silver member Pin winners will be allowed in that club, except for me. I am allowed in, but I'm not allowed to play. 
Oh, the heavy is the head that wears the crown. Uh, John Somsky, he's 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 flipping switches and pulling levers like no one's business back here, and we won't even let him play in the tournament. Oh my god! No, nope. just Although, cruel. There is one more chance on April thirteenth, which ah. is six days or five days before the. Um, April 19th tournament, I guess that'd be six if you do math. Uh, <laughs> only if you do math. Anyway, only if you yeah. do math. <laughs> but that will be the chance, the f- last chance to win a silver pin. And Amazing. I have actually qualified for that. So uh, there's a shot. There's a there's shot. There's a shot. So you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> and I really want to just reinforce to our members, um, 36, we've been doing these pins, we've been doing these tournaments coming up on Three years? Oh, my God. Wow. We've been doing these for... Okay. And there are still only 30 se- 36 silver pin winners. So this is a very exclusive club. <clears throat> asterisk. Um, <laughs> even more exclusive in the non-asterisk wing of the building. Uh, and it should you shouldn't miss this chance. If you've got, you know, other plans on April 19th, if it's like a anniversary or a graduation or something fine but if you're like thinking about having dinner with your brother or something maybe put that off to thursday um and come out and play in this tournament and i just really do want to reinforce it is a whole separate home game club that you need to join so don't get caught flat-footed on uh wednesday evening thinking you can just log into poker stars and uh, join the tournament this is an exclusive club you'll have to join a separate club to play uh but come and come and go for the gold i'm really excited about that and actually uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that one of the 35 deserving players actually <laughs> wins the tournament. <laughs> is there? Am I the only one with an asterisk? Because that's like... uh, that is the only that is the oh, man. only asterisk silver pin. I don't know if I love that or hate that because <laughs> I got that pin. I really I'm so mixed right now because I won that pin fair and square. By the way, um, like well before I took this leadership role at rec poker i was just another wrecking crew member you know i didn't have any like pull or sway or anything there was no like maneuvering to win the pin or anything like that i think i kind of love it that i'm the only asterisk winner it's just not a circumstance (laughs) that comes up very often i I think i'm gonna really lean into that as, as, as if i haven't already that's great um before i let you continue john it occurred to me that our friends at the running aces hotel racetrack and casino uh, also deserve mention the the running aces anniversary is coming up in April April 26th to 30th it's a $500 buy-in event uh, they'll have multiple uh, day ones to start I should just make sure that everyone knows that because they have a little more time you've got a month to get yourself ready for the running aces anniversary uh, tournaments uh, from April 26th to 30th okay uh, that's the goal for the gold John uh, but of course there were like 10 or 14 or 26 other poker tournaments that went on this week that you've got results for well on March 20th poker geek MN John Somsky hey! won his first nightly yeah. event for the year and this is actually somehow. how I qualified for yeah. the <laughs> EOC that I'm talking about <laughs> next month. <laughs> Keto Man 335, Kian Tavacoli got his nice. fourth nightly event for the year. Amazing. Elvis 76 got his second hmm. nightly event for the re- year. A really mad guy, mad guy, got really his third guy. nightly event for the year. He's got to be mellowing out by now. He's got to be. He's got to be like a relatively content guy. By now, you'd think, because he's winning a lot of these tournaments. 
I don't know what I'm what I'm beginning to think is because he 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 was on a tear for a while and yeah. then he kind of slowed down for a little bit. So maybe that got his anger built back up. That again, me mad. Maybe that is what fuels all of his victories. <laughs> So I I don't know. I'm I'm hypothesizing. I don't know him personally. So this is just a pure guess on my mm-hmm. my part. All right. And we had East Coast bitter Ben Enslow got his second nice. nightly victory for the year. K Poker wannabe Ron Payton Ron. got his first nightly victory for the year. Nice. Aces fifty four three two zero. Kathy Chang got her first night. Daily mixed victory for the year. Stewie 13, Stuart Carriage, got his first international victory for the year. And Keck Geek, that would be Keck Geek Sr., got his second international victory for the year. And then Flying Bricks won the LPP event. Oh, awesome. Sarah. Oh, sorry. So she can contact (laughs) Jim at rec.poker for her free month at Learn Pro Poker. I blew it. Flying Brick, send me that email. Jim at rec.poker. I didn't mean to talk to you. I think we should take away one of his pins every time he doxes somebody. How about that? I think that's a good idea. I just get excited because I see that I hear the screen name come up and I know it's a fun person who I'm familiar with and I want to like I want to congratulate them, but I'm well. It's I, almost like, hey, I know something. I gotta say it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, obviously you've met me before, John. Yeah. That's basically my mo around here. <laughs> well, thank you, sir, uh, for all the work you do, uh, John Somsky, putting the home game club together. I hope people appreciate um, all that you do, the effort that you go to. It's not just setting up these ten to eleven home games every week. But it's also tracking all the results, keeping track of who has won what pins, um, uh, the membership of the exclusive uh, championship clubs that we have. It really is a lot. And uh, so I will say, if you buy John Somsky a beer, this is my standing offer. If you are in the world and you see John Somsky and you buy him a beer, get photo evidence and tweet at me at Rec Poker Gym, and I will buy you a beer next time we get together in las vegas right now it's looking like the last two weeks of june so if you're going to be in vegas for the last two weeks of june um see if you can find john somsky and put a beer in his hand and i think on a recent podcast i also opened that uh invitation up to chris jones uh fans as well so if you see chris jones in the world or john somsky they do travel together from time to time you could get a twofer here but uh make sure you put a beer in their hands take a photo I saw one really bad um uh what's the when you when you fake photos what's the tool that you photoshop? use photoshop I saw a really bad photoshop version of someone pretending to buy John Somsky a beer and I'm just going to say you have to at least do a much better job photoshopping <laughs> uh than that in order to pass muster on here but kudos that was a good idea I'm glad that people are I'm glad that people are working on that um so I think looks like, uh, oh, I will also say, uh, folks, if you want to type food bank in, we've got a few contestants here, but there's still just a couple seconds before we get Chris and his magical nerdy die. Chris, you weren't here last week. I rolled a one. Did you really? I did. It. I, I don't understand. I don't understand how this keeps happening, but that's that's what happened. It, it was a one. Um, speaking of Chris Jones, uh, he's going to be recording our deep dive play along seminar tonight. So if you're a premium member and you're listening live, you've still got a chance uh, to join the group there. This is a fantastic program we do every month. 
uh, where Chris records the play of our premium members in a in a one table simulated uh, tournament scenario. He gets to see everyone's cards, uh, but no one else can, of course, at the table. You're all just playing as you would normally. And then uh, Chris and Daro Carney get together and uh, uh, find a few spots to analyze. And then a few of our premium members are going to get some personal feedback from Dara and Chris on how they can uh, play better on on just some some one on one uh, uh, feedback on how they can improve their play. So it's a great way to improve. It's a great way to have fun with our other local premium members. And there's a sign up sheet. I think we have a couple seats left in tonight's game. If you're a premium member watching live, uh, it's not too late to secure your seat. All right. So. before avoid... you go, I'm going to interrupt you. Oh, um, ooh, I like it. I was just, I was just curious. In your efforts, when you actually used nerdy dice for yes, other nerdy things, yeah. did you have this propensity to roll ones because in certain games, I have heard that that mm. can be considered what is called a critical, where you might actually damage yourself when rolling a one. You know. It's a good question. I, I just, for the first time, just now did a little mental catalog. I was just looking back on many die rolls. There have been some inopportune ones, but I'm not sure they're like disproportionately high. I I don't think it's, I think it's something about like the moment. I think, I, I, I don't think it's quite like a straight me rolling ones thing. I think it must be an element of uh, uh, something about, something about the occasion that's bringing out the ones. I really do. Because I mean, they're it, the the odds aren't great. <laughs> the odds aren't great that it's going to happen at that frequency. But that's a good point, John. I have done it a couple times. I've had like I've had like my weapon fly out of my hands and then like ricochet off something and then hit me and cause me some hit points or something like that. That has that's happened a non-zero number of times. I will I will admit that. I feel like I'm going to need to intervene and, and get us back on track here for starting to talk about hit points. And yes. All right. All right. Let's let's do the roll here, Chris. We've got three contestants that I see: the RRRCCC Graphics 16, the fantastic uh, 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 Roger Shooty, who helps us with all our amazing um, podcast post production, and Scott Radzewill are the three contestants in that order. So are, what are you going to do? Are you going to roll I'm, a four-sided with a re-roll? Are you going to roll I a think six-sided? I'm a, a six-sider, and I'll do one, two, three, four, and five, six. All right, let's yeah? make, it, make it so. And it's a four. So that's Roger. So that, Roger! You, th- uh, this is fantastic. I love when our active premium members win these prizes. So I've said it before, but Roger is such a phenomenal um asset to the organization here literally every podcast that you have heard for the last like year or two um roger has been involved in the post-production uh uh uh, audio editing he's helped provide um bringing some images to it if you're if you're watching on your phone or something he's really improved the quality of the podcast and he does it out of the goodness of his heart um i know roger is also someone who appreciates uh, uh, the support that we lend food banks and how important it is to put food in the stomachs of people that uh, need it. So congratulations, Roger. Roger, since you're already a premium member here at Rec Poker, uh, you've won a fantastic prize, a choice of prizes. And uh, send me that email, jim at rec.poker. We're going to find some other poker sites to give you a free month to or a coaching credit um, or some other free resource, some, some other paid resources that we're going to um, give to you for free 
So thank you. And thank you for being a Rec Poker premium member. It makes a big difference to what we do here. Um, and the RRRCCC says there's nothing wrong with number one. Hey, you said it, man. You said it. It's just there's something wrong with like weird frequencies and like <laughs> things that happen in ways that they shouldn't happen. That's all. I, I blame the poultry guys. Um, folks, it has been a great show. I know, Chris, you've got to go set up the seminar here. Is there anything else that we should mention uh, to our audience? Oh, and of course, if you're watching live, come on down to twitch.tv slash poker on Thursday night. Veronica Brill will be joining me in the commentary booth. Uh, Taylor Moss will be producing the finals, the final head versus head, best two out of three Marek Madness match. It's our own Chris Jones versus Keith Monkey System Brandt. The lockbox, says John. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. And um, if you... Uh, subscribe to our newsletter. You can see some fun uh, YouTube videos that uh, Chris has been putting out, sort of summarizing the action so far, and just laying it, laying it down there, letting people know what they're in for. Uh, so I'd like to thank Chris Jones and uh, Keith Brandt and all the other participants of uh, uh, Marek Madness for what they've been doing to make that fun. I want to thank all the people in the booth, uh, Lara Eisenberg, um, Chris Fox Wallace, Darrow Kearney, um, Rob Gardner and Veronica Brill. And of course, we have to thank the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. Um, I have to thank uh, Wesley Cannon for coming on the show, John Somsky and Chris Jones, everyone here in the YouTube chat, and mostly you, the listeners. You're the best. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. Good night, everybody.